David writes in Psalm 139, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Even there, wherever that there may be, Jesus says to us, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. May the Holy Spirit speak these words to our anxious and troubled hearts and replace it with his calm and peace. Amen. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, our gospel text for today finds another challenge awaiting the disciples. Jesus sends his disciples out across the Sea of Galilee while he goes off to pray. He'll meet them on the other side, but for now he needs time with his Father, time to pray. And as you heard, a storm comes up. The twelve weren't afraid of the storm. They were making headway, though it was slow and painful. So slow and painful, in fact, that a walking Jesus is able to catch up with them. That's when you know you're going slow, right? But here's the first very interesting thing about this text. We're told that Jesus meant to pass them by. Jesus wasn't coming to help them or get in the boat with them. He meant to pass them by. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt that way, that Jesus was passing you by? Passing you by just when you needed him most? Just when you needed him to stop and help you through some storm or difficulty? But here's the thing. It seems as if Jesus wanted them to see this, to see him passing them by. Because he passes by close enough to be seen by them. Close enough that when he speaks, he's heard by them. Close enough to be able to immediately get into the boat when they cry out in fear. He didn't have to do that. He didn't have to pass by so closely. He could have certainly gotten to the other side without seeing them at all. Which suggests that there must have been some purpose for Jesus to do that. Something he wanted to teach them. Something he wants to teach us. And perhaps it's this, that Jesus goes first. Even though he had remained behind to pray and sent his disciples out ahead of him, Jesus was going to be there for them when they arrived. Jesus goes first. They wouldn't have to arrive and wait for him, wondering what to do or how long he would take. Jesus goes first. He leads, he directs, we follow. And so wherever you go in life, whatever you face in life, there is not a place where Jesus is not. You don't have to wait for him to arrive or wonder if he's going to arrive. Jesus goes first. And for you, that is true, again, no matter what you face. Even if the journey in front of you is death, Jesus goes first. Even our greatest enemy, death, has been conquered. 
Remember what Jesus told his disciples right before his crucifixion in, in John 14. He says, I am going to prepare a place for you. He goes before us through his own death to resurrection to prepare the way and bring us along with him. So that you won't face that day or that passage, which was certainly, is certainly much more difficult than the disciples faced that day. You won't face that or any struggle alone. He is the Lord of all creation. He is the Lord of life. He is the Lord of your life. When you die and when you rise, Jesus will be there with you and for you. And so the disciples should have been filled with confidence and joy, right? The Jesus who just miraculously fed all those people is now going ahead of them. He'll be waiting for them on the other side. That's a good thing. But they're not confident. Instead, they're scared. More than that, they're terrified. Again, not the storm. They were handling that okay. But because when they saw Jesus, they thought they saw a ghost. Now here it's tempting for us to criticize the disciples and say, really, disciples, a ghost? Come on. But before you jump on that bandwagon, think about what rocks your boat. Think about what causes you to panic and fear and worry. What spooks you and causes you to disbelieve, be anxious? or to doubt God's goodness and love for you. A ghostly shadow on an x-ray, the specter of what may happen in the future, a phantom danger that seemed very real to you at the time. If we're honest with ourselves, we know that it doesn't take much to cause us to fear and worry. It doesn't take much for us to cry out in fear and wonder where God is and why he isn't helping us or at least helping us in the way that we think he should. And that way of thinking comes from the old man in each of us, that inner sinner in us that doesn't trust God, that inner sinner that wants to be God ourselves. You've been there. I've been there too. When God with us seemed more like a ghost than a real presence. And so Jesus gets into the boat with his disciples. He says, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Literally, I am, Yahweh is here with you, so don't be afraid. And immediately the wind ceases and all is calm. They're not afraid anymore. It's not a ghost. But they still don't completely understand either. They can't connect the dots yet. The loaves and the fishes, the, the calming of the wind and waves, Jesus walking on the water. They were, as Mark tells us, completely astounded. Utterly astounded because miracles are not enough. Miracles, the purpose of miracles is to reveal to us that Jesus is the Lord of creation. And he does great wonders. But in all that awesome display of sheer divine power, notice that there's no comfort, no confidence, and no hope. The disciples are simply confused. Now, miracles are nice, right? Don't get me wrong there. We often pray for miracles, right? 
And sometimes miracles happen. In fact, miracles do happen all around us. But what happens when miracles don't happen? Because that happens too, right? When despite our prayers, a loved one dies, when the troubles aren't going away like we think they should or when we think they should, what then? Or what about when we see the awesome power of nature with tornadoes, hurricanes, earthquakes, tsunamis, flooding, and fire? Or the, the terror of death in, inflicted by fellow human beings? When we are utterly astounded at the power of God, the power of nature, the power of evil in this world, what should you think when weak little you is faced up against all that awesome power? Well, if miracles are all you have, then truthfully, you won't know what to think. One moment, it seems like God is for you. The next, the whole world, even God, maybe seems against you. One moment he's feeding you, the next he seems like a ghost. Will he or won't he help? You need more than miracles. You need to know that he is for you, not just some of the time, but all of the time. And that's what the disciples here were still learning. That's what you and I are still learning, always learning. It's why we need the promises of God to rely on every moment of every day. Because it's certainly nice to hear and know about Jesus walking on the water, but it's saving and faith-creating to hear and know of Jesus coming to you as he promised in the water of your baptism, with the Spirit of God moving in those waters to come to you and give you faith and make you a child of God born from above that your heavenly Father, who is perfect and perfect in all of his ways, will not let you go or let you down. It's nice to hear and know about Jesus feeding the great multitude, as we did last week, in a desolate place with only five loaves of bread and two fish. But it's saving and faith-sustaining to hear and to know of Jesus coming to you as he promised in the bread and wine of his supper, with the very body and blood of your Savior feeding you and strengthening you with the forgiveness of sin. The forgiveness that was earned by that very same body and blood of Jesus as he hung upon the cross for you. Because of that, there's now nothing to hold against you or to separate you from your heavenly Father and his love. And so it's not the awesome power of God that gives us the faith and confidence and hope that we need. In fact, it took what we would call an awesome display of weakness to provide what we needed most, the weakness of the cross, where Jesus didn't use his awesome power as God and didn't come down from the cross, but instead endured the condemnation of your sin and mine and laid down his life for each of us in our place. That's the one place that Jesus would not pass by. He could have, but the cross is why he came. It's why he was born. It's why he was in the boat that day. That we would not just have a better or longer or easier life here on earth, but that we would have an eternal life with him forever. And so the faith that endures through the good times and the bad times, 
the times when miracles come and when they don't, that is confident in both peace and tragedy, is the faith that rests not on the awesome power of God, but on the promises of God. That's what we rely on, is God's promises for us. That's what Noah needed too. In our Old Testament text, he had just witnessed the awesome power of God in the flood. But what he needed was God's promise. The promise of God of never again. Otherwise, Noah and all those after him would have to keep looking back over their shoulders and, and keep on wondering, is this going to happen again? Are times going to get too sinful again? Is God going to act again? And just like with the disciples, there'd be no confidence, no peace, no hope. Just utterly astounded at the awesome power of God. But what we saw in our Old Testament text is that God pointed to the rainbow and promised Noah. He promised Noah never again. Don't be afraid. And that's the message of the cross for you. The promise of the cross given to you here in word and sacrament. Don't be afraid. Never again. Now your conscience may convict you. The world may attack you and persecute you. Your faith may waver and doubt from time to time. But the cross of your Savior assures you that Jesus will not pass you by. And he promises that here, in water and words and bread and wine, that he and his cross are here for you, to forgive you, to strengthen you, to keep you, and to give you hope and confidence and life. That as St. Paul said in our epistle text, you may know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, its breadth and length, height and depth, and be filled with all the fullness of God. For he alone is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. He points us to the cross. He points us to the cross and he says, don't be afraid, never again. He, the great I am, alone is able, and he did it. He alone is able, and he promised for you. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, take heart. Take heart, for he is with you just as he promised. With his word, with his mighty forgiveness, with his victory, and with his very own flesh and blood. I know that perhaps there's times when it seems as if he's not, where it seems as if he's passing you by. Perhaps he's not working for us as we want. But here's the deal. Faith clings not to what seems to be and not to what we want, but to the word and promise of he who is able. And not only able, but he who keeps every single word and promise. He is able to do what we are unable to do. The great I am has promised. The one who never changes, the one who is able, able to create, able to keep, able to save. And we have his promises to hold on to and take comfort and peace and confidence in every single day now and for all eternity. Amen.